so much, Marilyn. I hope that you have had the opportunity to worship this morning. Certainly, it's been a wonderful day to be in the Lord's house as we have celebrated the changed life of two young men uh, this morning and celebrated that with baptism. And we're certainly in awe of the Lord that continues to do that in our midst. This morning we are in Malachi, so if you would want to turn, uh, please turn to Malachi chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 6 through 12. This is the uh, fifth sermon in a seven-sermon series. And this morning we're dealing with a passage that's probably one of the more familiar passages out of Malachi. In fact, when usually when you talk to the folks that have been in a church for a while, that have, uh, have attended for a while, and you say the, the book of Malachi, immediately they say, oh, you're preaching about giving. You're going to be preaching about money, aren't you, Pastor? And it's like, well, yeah, eventually, because that's what's in the Word. And so we can't avoid it, we can't skip over it, we must address it. But I hope this morning, and I hope through this sermon series, that what you've seen is the book of Malachi doesn't predominantly deal with our giving. It doesn't predominantly deal with tithing, but predominantly the overarching theme of the book of Malachi has been our relationship and how we respond to a holy God who has expressed his love for us, has expressed his justice for us, and has expressed his faithfulness towards us. You see, the people of Malachi saw all of that, and yet they were not responding correctly. They called into question his love. They called into question his righteousness. They called into question his justice. And God is responding to those questions throughout the book of Malachi, and he is using different examples, whether it be um, how he has saved them from destruction, whether it be how he has... Um, looking at the long term when it comes to justice, whether he is looking at the sacrifices where they have been giving him the leftovers or whether it's looking at divorce as we talked about a few weeks ago and how that is a picture of um, unfaithfulness in, in uh, the marriage covenant and yet that marriage was intended to depict something very different from that and this morning he uses tithing as an example. But none of those things on its own gives us that idea, that theme of how we are to respond to this God that we serve. And so this morning, yes, we're going to be talking about giving, we're going to be talking about tithing, but I hope that as we do so, that you will step back and you will read the passage in the context it's intended, and we will look at how are we to respond to this God who has done so much for us? How are we to respond to this God who has shown us his love, has shown us his faithfulness, and is never changing in that? All right, um, as we do that, um, let's first start with a passage. So if you have found that, or even if you haven't, um, as I read, would you please stand with us as we honor the reading of God's word this morning? Again, we are in Malachi chapter 3, and we are going to start in verse 6 and go through verse 12. Verse 6 says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. 
if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soul, soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all, the, all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Let me pray for us. Father, I just come before you this morning, and I thank you so much, Lord, that we get the opportunity to be in your house. I thank you so much this morning that you have guided us and directed us on our path, that you have brought us to this place this morning. Lord, I pray that as we hear your word, Lord, as we desire to look more like you as we desire to experience you in a, in a deeper and more meaningful way lord that you would use your word to transform us lord that you would use your word to clarify things in our lives that you would use your word to help us to see life through the lens that you provide through through the, the word of god through your very word lord i pray this morning lord that we would get a glimpse of your faithfulness that we would get a glimpse of your unchanging nature Lord, and that it would transform us and that it would change us. We pray this in your beautiful name. Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. Join without the iPad this morning, so you'll have to bear with me as I go back to paper. Technology has not been my friend this morning. But this morning, we want to look at this passage, and the first thing we see is what we've seen in every passage. God stands before the people of Israel during the time of Malachi, and he says to them a declaration. He gives them a direct statement. And here we see it in verse 6 and 7. He says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. God starts off this passage by making a declaration. And that declaration is that God, he himself, has been faithful, but the people had not. You see, throughout this book, the, the character of God has been called into question. As Israel has said, we are suffering. We, we are not receiving the blessing that you have said that you would give us. We are experiencing crop failure. We are experiencing oppression from other countries. We do not have the glory that we had under David and under Solomon. We are a poor and nothing, nobody country. What are you doing, God? And they've called into question his wisdom. They've called into question his justice. They've called into question his love. They've called into question really his faithfulness throughout this book. And God says, I am unchanging. I have not moved. I am faithful. You are the one that has turned away. As I thought about this this declaration and what God was saying, it reminded me of a story that a pastor once told me. And the story went something like this. There was a man and a wife, and they were driving down the road in a pickup truck, and he was driving, she was sitting on the other side of the cab. And as they were going down the highway, another pickup came the other way, and in that pickup was a young couple. And the young man was driving, and his uh, young Mary, we're going to say it was his bride, was still sitting, was sitting next to him. And, of course, she had her head on his shoulder, and, you know, they were obviously in love. And the first, the first couple, the wife looked back at her husband and said, we used to do that, why don't we do that anymore? And the husband, not taking his eyes off the road nor missing a beat, simply said, I haven't moved. And that's funny. That's supposed to be, that's where they're at. Thank you. I appreciate that. I haven't moved. 
She was the one that had no longer sat by him. He was still driving the car. He was still taking care of what he needed to. She was the one that had moved to the other side of the cab. And God looks at his people. God looks at us even today and says, I have not moved. You ask me, where have I gone? You ask me, why, haven't you, why aren't you blessing me? You ask me why you, it doesn't seem like your prayers are leaving the room, but they just hit the ceiling. And the reality is, is not that I have left you, but you have left me. You have left me. He says that they have been unfaithful. They have walked away from his commandments since the days of their fathers. And as we look at the history of Israel, we cannot deny that. Over and over again, their sin takes them away from the Lord Jesus Christ, from God himself, from God the Father, and leads them down a path away from him as they seek after other gods, as they seek after their own desires. God's character, we need to see here, God's character is, and his faithfulness is never changing. God loves you. And that's never changing. God is a God of holiness. And that's never changing. God's desire is for you to have a relationship with him. And that's never changing. God wants to be a part and to lead you down the path that will bring you blessing. And that's never changing. doesn't mean that that path is always simple. It doesn't mean that that path is always without difficulty but it is the path that is best for us not only that but god here is indicating that his plan has not changed for his people yes they had walked away from him yes they had decided that they didn't want to do this or to do that and by all right a holy just god would have had the ability would have had the right would have had the authority to wipe them out and start new I mean, there are times when I read the book of Exodus and Leviticus, when I read the book of Judges and go, God, what, you, why are you so patient with this people? I look at my own life sometimes and say, God, why are you so patient with me? And God says, I have a plan, and that plan does not change. God desired for the people of Israel to be a lighthouse to all nations, that as he blessed them, as they followed him in obedience, other nations would say, wow. Look at that God in the same way that he has commanded us to be salt and to be light to the world that we are in. In the same way that as we express our love and our worship to God, as we obey him and the commandments that he has given us, as we follow him and fall deeper in a relationship with him, that our lives speak to who he is. That our witness, that our testimony speaks to the God that we serve so that other people might want to join that. God says that plan has not changed. And I am faithful to you and I am ready for you to do what? He says it right there. He says, return to me and I will return to you. I am right here. I am unchanging. But the people of Israel, they stop and they look at him and they ask a question. They say, how shall we return? How shall we return? And this question is not like what we may think. It We, we very well could read this as, they're, they're seeking repentance, but that's not at all the tone that is given here. But rather, it is more of a mocking, arrogant tone of, we haven't done anything wrong. 
See, the people of Malachi's time, they went to the temple when they were supposed to go to the temple. They did the feast when they were supposed to do the feast. They did the sacrifices. Granted, they were leftovers. They were the diseased. They were the broken already. They did all the check marks. They had the list. They wanted a religion. They, they got religion. But they didn't have a relationship. They thought they were good. And so they look at God and say, how shall we return? How shall we return? I love what one of the commentators says about this text. He says that in their question, they show a lack of consciousness about their sin. They don't even realize what is going on in their life. They don't realize that there is a problem. And as I got to thinking about that, that phrase, that uh, they had a lack of consciousness, it, I, I understood and, and, as, and I saw and God revealed that a lack of consciousness about our sin indicates a lack of relationship with the Lord. It indicates a lack of relationship with the Lord. And I began to think about that. And the thing that came to my mind was my relationship with Melissa. Before I got married, a good friend of mine and I were talking about marriage and talking about all things. And he said, you know what, Brian? One of the things that I, I know is true is that once I got married, I understood exactly how selfish I really was. And I was like, okay. Like, kind of took me off. And, like, I kind of expected a more uplifting note than that. But, okay. And, but as I entered into marriage, and as Melissa and I became one, and we, we were a couple, and we were living together, and as we had discussions like where the knives should go and where the hot pot holders should go, like I realized, holy cow, I am selfish. Like I want things my way. I want things done the way that I want to do them. I want to do the things that I want to do. And I understood that there was a problem there. But as I looked at my relationship, I desired to love Melissa. I desired to care for Melissa. And in that, that meant that I wanted her needs to be met before my own needs. And so I knew that that selfishness had to go. And so I just began to pray, God, take that from me, Lord. Help me to learn how to bite my tongue. Help me to learn how to look for her needs over my needs. And I wanted that to change. And as we have continued to be married and as we continue to deepen our relationship, I see other things in my life or other ways that I say things to her or thing, and I go, man, that needs to change. I can't continue to do that. I see that, you know, if I make that joke, that's not funny. That needs to go. I need to be encouraging to her. And I see those things, and I want those, those, those things to change because I love her, because I want a relationship with her. The same is true of our relationship with Christ. That as we stand before a holy God, we must observe in ourselves that there are things that are wrong. Even as believers, there is sin that remains. And we should desire, as we want a deeper relationship, as we want to experience more blessings as we walk this path, that those things need to be repented of. Those things need to go away, whatever the cost, whatever it takes. And this morning, if you sit here this morning and you say, I have no consciousness, I have no conviction over any sin in my life, then friend, I must from the word of God sound the alarm that it is possible that you do not know him. There is no relationship. I'm not here to strike fear into the hearts of those that are saved. But those of you that aren't saved, if you do not have that understanding, if you do not have that sense of, oh God, I see these things in my life that are not up to your standards in the word of God, 
please change them. If that is not present in your heart, then friend, you must fall on your knees before a holy God and say, am I really yours? These people wanted religion. They wanted to check off boxes. They wanted to be able to say that they had accomplished something, but they had no desire and they had no relationship with the Lord. They had no relationship and had no desire for relationship with God. And that was indicated in the fact that they did not understand any of the sin that they were committing. It's the reason they keep asking these questions over and over again. And so they ask this question, how shall we return? So God gives them an example. God answers them. And he points in this example to their tithes. You see, he makes it clear there that they are robbing him. They are robbing him, and they are robbing him to satisfy themselves. You'll remember what we said at the beginning, that they were experiencing all kinds of hardships, that they were experiencing uh, crop failure, that they were experiencing um, problems with other countries, that they were not realizing the, the glory that the country had once had under David and under Solomon, and they were crying out to God, Lord, please come and bless us. And they were not receiving it in the way that they thought. And so they were withholding the tithe. They were withholding what was God's. And in order that, they may satisfy their needs themselves. So that they may satisfy what they wanted. But in seeking their own gain, they had brought on a curse. He says there in verse 9, You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. I always think, I always those those movies and this reminded me of this but you ever watch those movies where at the beginning of the movie there's a prophecy or there's a line to the main character about hey this is going to happen you're going to die or this is going to your job's going to be taken away you're going to experience a problem and so the main character begins to do all this stuff to try to avoid that from happening and the whole time he's doing all that stuff like he's only digging the very hole which he's trying to avoid like, have you watched those kinds of movies? And like, you're sitting there going, dude, if you would just stay the course, if you would have done nothing and just trusted in the direction that you were going, you would have been fine. But you heard this curse, and then you freaked out, and then you created the very curse you were trying to avoid. That's what Israel was doing. Israel was experiencing a problem, and so they knew what God had told them. They knew that they were to tithe. They knew that they were to obey him. And yet they freaked out and, dis and showed their distrust in the Lord and they held on to what they thought was theirs. They held on to the tithe and in doing so they brought upon themselves the very problem which they sought to avoid. We do the same thing, don't we? We do it all the time. I, th I do it in my own life. I think, man, I want to avoid this problem. I want to avoid this and instead of seeking what the Lord wants me to do and instead of trusting him i take my own path and i do my own thing and what ends up happening is i fall into the very trap that i wanted to avoid in the first place because i didn't just trust him and that's what they were doing they weren't trusting him and that's the whole reason that he gives the example of the tithe i want us to take a quick look at what was the tithe because it's a little different than what we are experiencing what was the tithe the tithe very simply was god's plan for kingdom work we see this laid out in three different places in Scripture. We see it that it was his kingdom work was supported because the tithe was to first and foremost be the way that, it, that 
daily ministry was supported there in Numbers 18.21. We see that the tithe was to support the priest and the work at the temple. We see that it was to be for special events in Deuteronomy 14.22-23. We see that there was another tithe that was collected over three years that was for the poor. It was a benevolence tithe, Deuteronomy 14.28-29. God had a plan in place to provide. God had a plan in place to make sure that things work the way that they need to work. This is still mind-blowing to me. Every time I think about how God works, whether it be through the tithe or whether it be through how the gospel is spread, God so very simply could have said, this is what needs to happen, boom, and the gospel is known to all people. He could have very very easily said, these people need this, boom, there it is. But rather, God looks at his people and says, I am going to do this through you for your blessing. I'm going to allow you to be a part of this so that you may experience blessing, so that you may understand that I'm the one that provides, so that you may help others to see that as well. And so God has this system in place. He has this system in place so that He may provide for the needs of those that are serving him, so he may provide for the needs of the ministry that is being done in the nation, so that he may provide for the needs of the poor and for those that need help. He has the system in place, and the whole system is based upon the people of God trusting him for their own needs and their own provision, for the people of God seeing him for what he is. That's why... Well, that gives us the next question, why the tithe? Why, why does God use this as an example? He gives this example because it was a reminder of God's sovereignty and provision. You see, you'll remember that this whole book is about our response to our Lord and God, about knowing who he is and then responding correctly to him. And The tithe was a reminder that God is sovereign over all things, that no matter what our plans are, no matter how fearful we are of the future, that he is in control. He has the ability to make the crops grow. He has the ability to bring about the rains when they need to happen. He's the one who causes that seed to sprout, though we can do everything in our power. Ultimately, we cannot make that thing happen. God is sovereign in that. God is the one who provides. Tithing, you'll, tithing, you see, was an act of obedience that was to lead to worship. It was an act of obedience that was to lead to worship. As his people gathered together what he had asked them to do, as they brought to the temple the things and the possessions that he had given them, and as they handed them back to the priests, as they handed them back to the Lord for use in his kingdom, to, for use in his ministry, They were to be reminded that God gave us this in the first place. And he's going to meet every need we have beyond this. We don't have to fear. See, giving and sacrifice can produce that in us. When we think about it, when when we think about what God is doing in our lives, when we think about the challenges and the struggles that we have, at times giving can seem like something that's scary. But when we give our tithes with the right heart, when we're when we give beyond even our own means, we, we are reminded ourselves of his faithfulness, and that leads us to worship. 
that is what God is trying to show us this morning. That's what God was trying to show the people of Israel this morning in talking about the tithe. Not just you need to be giving, not just you need to watch your money carefully, but rather, I am faithful. I am sovereign. I am your provider. Trust me. Trust me and see if I don't meet all your needs. The problem is, and this is the second part of why the tithe, the problem is is that when we disobey in the tithe, it's a sign of unfaithfulness, just as divorce was. Remember, marriage is a picture of God's love for us, that, and it's a sign of his undying love, that his love does not change, that his love goes on forever, that he loves us no matter what. And when we divorce, when we separate, that it tells a lie about God, that God loves us only when he feels like it, that God will never, will, won't be there in the hard times. And it screams lies about God in the same way when we are unfaithful in the tithe, when we withhold the tithe, when we are not generous with what God has given us, it screams lies about him. It screams the lie that God will not provide. It screams the lie that he is not sovereign. It screams the lie that his way is not perfect. God says, bring in the tithe. Trust me. Trust me and see if I don't meet every need that you have. The great thing, though, the great thing here is, though, the end of this passage, yes, they had done wrong. Yes, they had not obeyed him. Yes, they had not trusted him. Yes, they had done it time and time again. And yet, we come back to the truth that if they will repent, that God will once again show his faithfulness and sovereignty to them. There in verse 10, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Verse 12, then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Remember, God is unchanging. God is unchanging in his faithfulness and God is unchanging in his plan for us. The plan for Israel was that they would be a delight to all nations. The plan for Israel is that nations would look at them and know who the one true God is. And God looks at them once again and says, if you will repent, if you will confess your sins, if you will turn back and do this thing which I have asked you to do, I will fulfill the plan that I put in place with your father so long ago. And he speaks to us this morning in the same way. That if we will obey him, if we will trust him, that he will use our lives to be salt and light to the world around us. That he will use our lives to draw people to his name so that they may have the hope of eternal life that we see still. So where does this bring us? How do we respond to this? What are we to see out of this? Well, again, I I look at three questions. First question, does our giving reflect our trust in God's faithfulness? We've seen this morning, God, God declares that he's unchanging. God declares that he hasn't moved. God declares that he loves us, that he wants to provide for us. Does our giving reflect that? Not just our tithe, but our giving. Paul says over and over again in his letters that we are to be generous, that we are to help meet the needs of brothers and sisters. 
to go above and beyond. Does our giving reflect our trust in God's faithfulness, or does our giving reflect that we don't trust him at all? It's like, God, I've got a lot of bills. I've got a lot of needs. I've got a lot of wants. I'm going to give you just this little bit, or I'm going to give you nothing at all, because I, I think I can do this better than you can. The second question is, does our giving reflect the grace God has given us? As we look this morning at baptism, we're reminded that Jesus Christ gave up his very life. He shed his own blood so that we may have a relationship with God, so that we may be saved from our sins. He has shown us great grace. He has shown us great mercy. And he has gone above and beyond. We could stand this morning and give story after story of how God has provided, how he has come through. Does our giving, does our obedience reflect that this morning? Or does it reflect that we have taken him for granted? We have taken what he has given us and we have run. I think of little kids that, you know, you give them candy and they grab the candy and they run away. They never say thank you. They never, like, as a parent, you're, like, pushing them back towards the giver, like, go say thank you. And the kid's like, thank you, and then runs away. Like, he just wants the candy. And that's what we do so often to God. We take his grace, we take his mercy, and we run the other direction. And we say, look what I got. And we never, we never reflect in our lives what has been given to us. Lastly, does our giving re- lead us to worship? It's so easy for us at times, isn't it, for us to get into a habit of giving our tithe or giving to this or giving to that, but we do it begrudgingly. We don't do it out of worship. We don't do it out of, uh, out of generosity. We don't do it out of a sense of joy, but rather we do it just to check something off a box, off a list put a check mark in a box but our giving is to lead us to worship it's to remind us of who he is and what he's done in our life and for us to go and say god i'm so thankful for what you've done i'm so thankful for where you've brought me lord i continue to praise your name i'm going to ask the praise team to come back up we're going to have a time of response. We're going to have a time to worship like that. To, to thank God for what he's given us. To thank him for the grace that he's bestowed upon us. To thank him for the fact that he is unchanging. To thank him that his faithfulness to us is never wavering. But this morning, I want us to ask these questions and to really ponder, am I... Am I showing him the trust that he deserves? Am I being faithful to him or have I wandered away? What does my giving say about that? How does that reflect in my own life? Maybe this morning you're still pondering the phrase that I said earlier, or the, the word that we said earlier about that a lack of consciousness is a, as evidence, is an indication of a lack of relationship. Maybe this morning you would say, I, I have no conviction over sin. I have no, no desire to change. And I'm worried that, that that means I don't have a relationship with God. That I don't have hope of eternal life. Then this morning, friend, I would invite you to ask him into your life. To ask him to forgive you of your sins. To make him Lord of your life. And then to respond to that. To follow him in obedience with baptism after he has changed you. This morning, though, 
you worship, you respond the way that God is leading you. Let me pray for us. Father, we just come before you this morning, and Lord, we are indeed thankful, Lord, that you have shown us grace upon grace, that you have, show, you have provided for us time and again. Lord, we're reminded this morning of brothers and sisters who are struggling with need. Lord, we're reminded of those that don't have. Lord, you have given us much. Lord, I pray that in that, that we would understand that you have a plan that we would understand that you are asking us to trust you, that as we give back to you what is rightfully yours, that you will always come through, that you are sovereign. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us, Lord, when we have withheld those things, when we have been greedy and selfish and more concerned about us than about what you desire for us. Lord, I pray in this time, Lord, that we would respond the way that you would have us to as a church and as a people. I pray this in your glorious name.